Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com. From St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. We were made to believe that we mattered, that your thoughts and ideas were worth listening to. Without any warning, they sent in um, you know, uh, police officers, uh, buses full of, of, of folks who were um, keeping order. Um, they, they brought in dogs. There were helicopters. And the hospital uh, closed that day. Homer Phillips Hospital was a 600-bed worldwide, internationally known hospital. And then you're going to come up and name a three-bed hut after the name, saying it's a hospital. I'm Sarah Fenske. A new three-bed hospital is set to open in North St. Louis next spring. The hospital has drawn some snickering. Who ever heard of a hospital with just three beds? The fact that a developer with a sketchy track record is involved has also raised questions. But many people are also angry about the name. Developer Paul McKee has said he'll name the place Homer G. Phillips Hospital. And that is a name that carries enormous weight in St. Louis and beyond. From 1937 to 1979, back when hospitals were segregated, Homer G. Phillips Hospital in the Ville neighborhood was internationally known. It wasn't only a state-of-the-art institution, but also offered a wide array of training opportunities at a time when few places in America offered training for black medical graduates. Rowena Jones grew up in the Ville. She knew many people who worked at Homer G. Phillips Hospital. She says the hospital was known for its excellent surgeons, trauma department, and maternity ward. It was a pillar of the black community, you know, and we were very proud. And then also the nursing school, because I know that it was a young ladies, you know, black women who came from all over the country to enter into Homer G. Phillips School of Nursing. Georgia Roan Anderson was one nurse who studied there. She told our producer Emily Woodbury that she came to St. Louis from small town Arkansas in September of 1952. She was a self-described country girl who grew up on a 480-acre farm. There was no public high school for black students in her community. But her grandfather heard about an agricultural school that took black students. She was enrolled there when she first heard about the Homer G. Phillips Hospital. This school was designed to teach black boys and girls, boys to be better farmers and girls to be better homemakers. However, I knew that I wasn't going to be a farmer's wife. Anyway, I uh, was talking to one of the upperclassmen there, and she had a brochure from Homer Phillips in color. And I thought those were the prettiest black girls I had ever seen in their beautiful, starch, aproned uniform. I just, I fell in love with with the idea. I'd always been a fixer-upper. I loved taking care of things, the cats or the dogs, the whoever, whatever, whoever was feeling bad. 
I like to take care of them. So I've always had a leaning for caring for people. After graduating high school, Georgia made her way to St. Louis. She thrived in Homer G. Phillips' nursing classes. Every day was like going to the movie for me because you, you saw something different, you learned something different. I love scrubbing, actually working in the fields, passing the instruments to the doctor. You know, and you, you, there was a bit of competition among the OR staff you know, who wanted to be the best. And my instructor, when I was a student, I was just so impressed with her because with most procedures, she and the doctor didn't have to talk during surgery because she was so acutely aware of his procedure, his needs. You know, if, if he used a knife, then she knew that the next thing, he's going to need something to control the bleeding. That was either suture or cautery. And after you have done it for so long, you learn. And I truly, truly loved it. It meant a lot to Georgia's family that she not only graduated high school, but made it through nursing classes. She was the first on her mother's side to make it past grade school. She credits her time at Homer G. Phillips Hospital for changing far more than her own life. It was a good thing for my nieces and nephews that came behind me because they said, my nickname is Jack, they said, if Jack can do it, I can do it. So to me, Homer Phillips was a stepping stone for my family. Georgia Roan Anderson worked as a staff nurse in the Homer G. Phillips operating room. After four years in that role, she was promoted to the operating room head nurse. She worked at the hospital until it closed in 1979. She enjoyed her entire nursing career, but she never had a working experience quite like the one at Homer G. Phillips. We were made to believe that we mattered, that your thoughts and ideas were worth listening to. And if it was an idea, thought, or of merit, it would be acted upon. And subsequently, we were like a family. It, it was just a, like a big family. We treated everybody with respect. That included the patients. Patients were called Mr. and Mrs. They were not called by their first name. Matter of fact, the staff was called by their last names, and that was practiced throughout the facility, from the director of nurses down to the housekeepers. So that hospital closed in 1979, and Georgia said the closure devastated the Ville neighborhood. She remembers it as a thriving place. Phillips was a historical event, and I think the community has suffered tremendously because of its loss. You know, the hospital was built in, in the Ville. In the Ville, at one time, or at a long time, had everything that the community needed in that community. They didn't have to go out. There were grocery stores, there was gas stations, there was churches, there were schools, there was a college, there was a nursing home. And most of the community worked at the hospital. Also in that community, the teachers in that community 
lived and worked in the community. So there was a pride, a special pride that you had in the, where you lived. You were interested in seeing that your community not only survived, but that it thrived there. And right now, the community looks like a, a storm came through it. A lot of houses are empty. Uh, it's just a different place, I'll put it like that. Now, as for that three-bed hospital planning to open in North St. Louis next spring, 90-year-old Georgia Roan Anderson is unimpressed. Homer Phillips Hospital was a 600-bed worldwide, internationally known hospital. And then you're going to come up and name a three-bed hut after the name, saying it's a hospital. I have no I, I have no problem with the with the building in its three beds, but name it something else. And that is Georgia Roan Anderson. She worked at Homer G. Phillips Hospital from 1955 until 1979. And joining us now with more on the hospital's storied history is Martha Jackson Nelson. She's a former pediatric nurse at Homer G. Phillips Hospital. Martha, welcome. Thank you. And we're also joined today by Candace O'Connor. She's a historian and the author of Climbing the Ladder, Chasing the Dream, The History of Homer G. Phillips Hospital. That book comes out this December. Candace, welcome. Thank you so much for having us. So, Candace, take us back. What led to this hospital being founded in 1937? Well, there had been a, a hospital that was uh, an all-black hospital before Homer G. Phillips was built. It was called City Hospital Number no. 2, and it was located in the um, Mill Creek Valley neighborhood. Uh, it was built in 1919, but from the very start, it was apparent that it was not only insufficient, it only had 200 beds, um, but it was also a really terrible place. Newspapers started calling it a fire trap. Um, they talked about how the elevators were broken and the uh, patients had to be carried up and down narrow stairs. It was really uh, a, a terrible place, and everybody recognized that. So there was a movement afoot to build a new all-black hospital. Um, and there was money, too. There was a million dollars from a 1922 bond issue, another 200000 from the Board of Aldermen. But where would they put this new hospital? And Homer G. Phillips, the attorney, lobbied to have it put um, in the Ville neighborhood, which was, you know, a thriving black neighborhood. Um, some aldermen uh, objected. They said, well, let's just build a, um, you know, an kind of a, an ancillary facility to City Hospital Number 1, which was the white public hospital on the south side. But many of the black leaders said, no, we want our own hospital separate from the uh, other public hospital, and we want it in our neighborhood. Mm -hmm. um, so it was finally built, and it opened in 1937. And so it took its name from this attorney who had helped to make this a reality. He actually passed away before it opened. Is that right? Oh, yes, he did. He was actually murdered in 1931 in a case that's uh, officially still unsolved, although I, I delve into that in, in the book I've written. Um, I got the medical examiner's report and the police report, which are very illuminating. Um, but yes, he was he was murdered, and he had been such a strong advocate for the hospital that they decided uh, to name the new hospital for him. Hmm. So this hospital that was named for him, this opened in 1937. How did Homer G. Phillips Hospital change the game? 
Well, it changed everything at, at many levels. For one thing, it was uh, a magnificent facility. It was beautiful. It was designed by the city architect, Albert Osberg. It had um, four wings uh, coming off a central core. It had a nursing school behind it. It was an absolutely wonderful campus. Um, so it was a great asset to that neighborhood, which already had um, such you know cultural icon- icons as uh, Sumner High School, Antioch Baptist Church, um, and the old Poro College. Um, but it was also a place where um, not only could nurses receive wonderful training, but um, black trainees could come, ner- uh, medical graduates from Meharry and Howard, who really didn't have places to go for their internship or residency. And suddenly, Homer G. Phillips provided some of those slots that they had really needed. Hmm. So, Martha, you came to St. Louis in 1958. What made you want to enroll in the nursing school at Homer G. Phillips Hospital? Well, in 1958... Uh, there were only two nursing schools that were available to African-Americans uh, students, and they were Grady in Atlanta, Georgia, and Homer Phillips in St. Louis. I'm from Evansville, Indiana. And during that time, there was a lot of marching uh, demonstration going on in the South, and my mother decided that I would go north and not the south. Hmm. And we found the information about Homer Phillips, what a wonderful historical institution it was. And in the location was ideal for for us to travel back and forth uh, from Evansville to St. Louis. And so you came for nursing school, but you ended up staying. You took a job there as a pediatric nurse. Was this a place that that you aspired to work to, or was this something where this was where a job was? Actually, I started out uh, wanting to become a school nurse, and it wasn't until later as my nursing career advanced in different areas that I uh, eventually became a pediatric nurse practitioner. But I was only at... Uh, home of Phillips for about three and a half years, and most of my classmates were from out of state, from Mississippi, Tennessee, Texas, Louisiana, Kentucky, and Michigan, and my roommate was from Texas, and we lived together after we had graduated, and she decided to return to Texas, and I didn't want to be left alone, so I decided to move home uh, with my parents who had migrated from Evansville to St. Louis. My father was employed at the Chrysler plant and the Chrysler plant was built in Fenton, Missouri. So my father came first and then my mother and brother came later on. So we all eventually ended up in the St. Louis area. And so you were just there for about three years. How did your work at Homer G. Phillips prepare you for other nursing jobs that you would take after that? Actually, the first, the first year, the instructor in psychology prepared us to set our goals high. Each time we would go in the classroom, she would point up in the corner, Lucille Miller was her name, and she would say, set your goals high. And that's what was instilled in us from the very beginning. Also, the other clinical nurse, Thelma McClendon, was very strict and she taught us a lot in basic nursing care, especially how to make beds and mitre the corners, also how to fill a pitcher of water. She, I will never forget how she instructed me how to fill a pitcher of water. I had filled it full of ice and then she asked me where was the water going to go. 
So from this day forward, I still know how to correctly make a bed and fill a pitcher of water. She sounds like she was very particular. She wanted things done the right way. Exactly. So that must have been good training. I mean, when you showed up at, at these other hospitals, were they like, yep, this is one who she knows the drill? Absolutely. We were prepared to do excellent, to be professional, and to uh, be outstanding in our work and to set our goals high. So when you got to these other hospitals, um, were things different there than they had been at Homer G. Phillips? The first hospital I, I went to was Jewish Hospital, and that was the name then. And what I noticed is the equipment was different. At Homer Phillips, we had to sharpen our, our needles on, on stones. And when I got to Jewish, they had the needles and syringes already packaged. The other thing that I noticed that was different, we had oxygen tanks that we had to pull to bed size. But at the Jewish hospital, the, the oxygen was already built into the walls. Uh, so we had the same equipment, but it was different. And I had to learn to adjust to that. It was quite a shock when I arrived there and found things were that different. I was going to say, it sounds like this equipment was not as good as what was at Jewish Hospital. I mean, it certainly sounds like, you know, the people who were running Homer G. Phillips Hospital, that that they knew how to run a good hospital. But in some ways, this hospital had some things that that made it harder to to be there. This was maybe less funding or, or less good equipment. Perhaps it was, but we we made the best of what we had. Mm-hmm. I can remember when the laundry was moved from Homer Phillips down to city number one, and I worked on pediatrics at that time. And we would s- receive the laundry. We would either get all shirts or all pants. And we would have to come up with innovative ways to, to dress the children with what we received. So we could take the, the pants and, and put the put them across the child and uh, the legs across the back to make the shirts. So we were able to uh, use what we had to the best of our ability. Candace, hearing these stories from Martha, I mean, th- this is kind of amazing. I mean, first of all, it sounds like this was a wonderful place to work, but this was also a place where people had to really get creative. Oh, absolutely. Um, But they did. That's the amazing part. I think um, whatever they had, as Martha said, I think they made the best of it and and just learned how to use it. And remember, too, that this hospital did not have air conditioning. Um, In those days, there, there was no air conditioning. So they were um, doing things like, you know, just opening the windows, of course. They had, um, you know, ice, and they would blow fans over the ice to try to cool off different areas. So so in many different ways, they had to had to be creative, I think, to, to make um, everything as pleasant and as professional as they could. Martha, the idea of not having air conditioning in the St. Louis summer, I mean, this must have been hard for some patients on a hot August day. Actually, I don't remember it. I think we were just so accustomed to it being like that. And we did uh, use the fans and the ice, and we just we just made the best of it. Hmm. Well, we heard from Kathy Scales. She's someone who grew up in the Ville. She went to Sumner High School. She was born at Homer G. Phillips in 1957. And she told our producer her mom didn't have many options for her delivery. She said there weren't a lot of places to go. The other hospital that they had, um, actually, uh, black people weren't allowed to go to the other hospitals. They had uh, city, I think it's city number one. Um, And then um, 
BJC Barnes at the time. Um, they had a facility over at Barnes where black people, they were only able to, they could, would go, but they had a place for black people in the basement of the hospital. And Kathy shared these feelings about having been born at Homer G. Phillips Hospital. I, it made me proud because I was brought up in that community. I was raised in that area. I went to school there. And um, it's history, you know, it's legacy. And to be part of a legacy and uh, great history, it means a lot. It means a whole lot to me. And my mom and dad uh, also, my mom uh, was born at home at G. Phillips. My mom was born in 1937. And that's when the hospital opened. And that is Kathy Scales. It seems like this is something where this hospital was there serving generations. Um, Candace, did you hear from people who had that pride in this institution? Oh, absolutely. Um, and, it, and even today, if you talk to African-American people of a certain age um, and you say, do you, do you remember Homer G. Phillips Hospital? It would be very rare for somebody to say no. I mean, they they. Almost everybody you can talk to has had a relative there or who was there himself or herself or, um, you know, or knew somebody who worked there. It was it was a huge institution in the community. So we got an email from June Brown. She writes, as a child, I remember Homer G. Phillips Hospital as a place to go anytime there was an accident at home, on the street, cuts, rashes, bruises, bleeding, abnormalities, almost anything physical or mental needing medical attention. It seems that the neighbors felt very secure knowing that there was a place of refuge close by whenever there was unexpected physical trouble of any kind. It was said that the doctors were the best ever at Homer G. Phillips. And June continues, as a young lady, my family and the others in our area were certainly very surprised, dismayed, and disappointed when it closed down. And we were told that we had to now go to the Southside City Hospital Number 1 to attend to our medical needs. It seemed to me such a long, long way from home. What a disappointment to us. It had everyone that I knew wondering why it had to be. We also got an email from Della Kinsolving. She writes, Homer G. Phillips was a critical institution for training black medical professionals and providing essential life-saving services for the black community when other hospitals excluded and discriminated against them. It was a travesty when it was defunded and forced to shut down. So, Candace, why did this hospital close? Well, if you talk to um, uh, three different people, you get four different opinions. But um, it's uh, it was a combination of, of genuine, um, you know, money problems, but also um, some people argue that it was a, a product of racism. Um, the city at that time in the 70s was experiencing much population loss. Um, the uh, folks were moving to the suburbs. The tax base was eroding. There wasn't as much tax money to spend on um, on public hospitals. So the uh, administration, uh, the mayor's office, started looking at the uh, two public hospitals, uh, City Number One and Homer G, as places where they might be able to save some money. If mm-hmm. one if one was cut, then they would save a great deal of money. So which one would it be? Um, and of course, there were many different opinions about that. Some people felt it should be uh, Homer G because it was somewhat smaller. Um, it uh, you know needed some repairs, uh, but others felt that city should be the one to be to be closed. So. Um, 
eventually the uh, the mayor, uh, Mayor Conway, closed uh, Homer G. in 1979. In August of 79, without any warning, they sent in, um, you know, uh, police officers, uh, buses full of, uh, of folks who were um, keeping order. Um, they, they brought in dogs. There were helicopters. And the hospital uh, closed that day, and uh, it was very controversial. There were lots of people uh, from the staff and from the neighborhood who were protesting and uh, and continued to protest after that day as well. But, of course, it remained closed. Kid, is that I'm, – I'm so taken aback by closing a hospital in a day and bringing in dogs. Um, Martha, do you remember uh, when this news came out that this hospital had been shut down so suddenly? I actually wasn't there at that time. But I remember them uh, trying so very, very hard to keep it open and how many of the nurses had had been involved in trying to maintain the hospital and how they were shocked the day it occurred and patients were moved out and taken in ambulance. It was a very horrible day for the, the staff at that time. And so for alumni of the hospital, people who'd been trained at this nursing school and and people who worked there, when you look back on this legacy and and just that sudden closure, I guess, what's what's tops on your mind? Actually, the alumni is is still very active. Uh, We meet uh, every other month. But since uh, the pandemic has occurred, we, we continue to meet by teleconferencing, we hold, um, we receive a newsletter once a year, and we have had reunions in the past, but because of the pandemic, we have not been able to, to have our reunion. Hmm. But it is still active. Nurses are still uh, involved in the alumni. But Sarah, there are so many memories out there, too. I mean, it's, you hear stories all the time about, about um, wonderful things, people being saved, someone being brought to the emergency room, you know, at, at death's door, and, and then coming, coming out a few weeks later, you know, healed up. I mean, it's uh, it, it just incredible stories and, and, some, and some funny stories, too, that you hear about about, um, you know, babies being born, you know, unexpectedly and, and, <laughs> and uh, doctors receiving their training on the very first baby they, uh, they delivered. So, so there are just so many memories in the community. So there's so many memories, and this name is now back in the news, uh, a three-bed hospital. Candace, in just our final moments here, uh, how do you see the debate over that name? Well, um, I have not talked to a single person who thinks it's a good idea to name this three-bed facility Homer G. Phillips Hospital. They are incredibly proud of what Homer G. Phillips was, this unique facility, this magnificent hospital. And there's still a great deal of pride in the fact that at a time when there was segregation in the uh, larger community, that this uh, hospital that was uh, run by African-American people was thriving and was, was just a wonderful place to train and to be treated. Um, so I, um, I, I think that people are horrified that this name would be appropriated for a facility that's nothing like the one they remember. Well, Candace O'Connor, I appreciate your work bringing this history to life today. This feels like such an important story. I want to thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. And Candace is the author of Climbing the Ladder, Chasing the Dream, The History of Homer G. Phillips Hospital. That book comes out this December. And Martha Jackson Nelson, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your memories. So happy to be here.
This episode was produced by Emily Woodbury with audio engineering by Aaron Dorr and production assistance from Jane Mather Glass. It was mixed and edited by Jane. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.